I'm Kathleen. And I'm Dee. And you're listening to Mamas with Attitude, otherwise known as MWA. Mama, 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 Interesting, cool, South African, relevant yeah. content yeah. Um, on where we were at. Mm-hmm. You know, motherhood just comes to take on its different shapes and forms. Mommy's a bounce. Mommy's a bounce. Is mama's a bounce? Jesus. <laughs> Weird. Yeah. You're in another zone, but you're totally out of the twilight. Mama. 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 Welcome back to, um, I don't even know, Dee and I have lost count of how many episodes we've done of MWA, which is such a great feeling. Deraline, I'm so excited. Very exciting. Um, so we, I'm, I'm feeling super chuffed today because we yes. have somebody who I'm properly like fangirling for with us on zoom <laughs> so i just want to say welcome to megan ross megan ross was born in johannesburg in 1989 um, she's a writer poet and graphic designer and has received critical acclaim for both her fic- uh, short fiction and poetry uh, megan was the recipient for the 2017 brittle paper award for fiction and one of the 2016 short story day africa award winners as well as an iceland writers retreat alumni um our, her first book which is absolutely incredible and i really really do recommend everyone goes out and gets is a collection of poems which have been published under Uhlanga called milk fever and it was published in 2018 megan no longer lives in johannesburg she lives near the indian ocean which sounds idyllic and lives with her partner and her beautiful son so megan thank you so much for joining us <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Megan. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. As Kathleen said, she really is a fan. She's actually not joking. She's such a fan girl. She's been pestering me for months, going, You have to check out this woman's writing. You have to check it out. Yeah, and when I did, I mean it's just it's so beautiful. I I you know, we both have notes and notes just about <laughs> having gone through various things in preparation for this conversation mm-hmm. and I think that's really testament to how excited we are to have you on so yeah just thank you how are you <laughs> so how are you doing before we go straight into the deeper stuff <laughs> Average day, I was gonna say. <laughs> that sounds like our kind of day. Oh, nice. It sounds so unbelievably familiar. familiar. Um, on this side, yeah, we have um, a sick child. Yeah, Kathleen hasn't been sleeping pretty much all week. Um, I have a sick child who had some. I don't know, coughing thing last week. This week was a tummy Aww. thing. So we've also missed swimming and we're no, trying to no. start swimming again. So, so it's a theme. It's a whole mood. It's a whole mood. It's a whole mood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but coughing for me, the coughing is the worst. I know. Kids coughing. Yeah. yeah. No sleep. Yeah. I just no sleep. Deal. Yeah. Okay. Oh. But let's go straight into D. I think so. Gosh, Megan, there's so many different places we could start with you. You know, I I said to Kath just a little while ago, I said I was just so incredibly moved by how in one of your interviews you say, uh, you know, you're speaking about abortion and you're speaking about Farang. You know, I think the 
sorry, I actually can't remember the interviewer's name, but she asked you something about um, how you feel about having your child, right? The way you pieced together that answer for me was, it was very beautiful. Honestly, I'd not actually read anything like it before. There was so much consideration that went into him reading this as an yeah. older person one day, yeah. but also you being you now, yeah. you being you having found out you were pregnant in a different place. And then you say this wonderful thing about how so many people are pro-life, but not so many people actually pro-child. And I was like, damn, that is on the money. You know, that is that not on the money? It's on the money. It's it on is the on money. the money. <laughs> so I know we're kind of jumping into the deep end here with you, but I feel like you're so happy to go there. Yeah, I, I that was really the feeling I got from having read um, some of your work and from having read some of the previous some previous engagements with you. So yeah, just tell us about that. So when I fell pregnant with Ali, I was twenty. I was twenty-five when I fell pregnant, and my partner, who's his dad, um, had visited me for Christmas. Like he he was living in Cape Town, he visited me in Bangkok for Christmas, and I was like, we've sort of on and off again, but it was just nice to have him there and whatever. And then I fell pregnant, and I guess like the best way to sort of engage with that moment is just. Just to say that I literally saw the test and it was like the person that I was prior to seeing that test is very split and that that person just ended. It was like a full stop on that life. And I feel mm. like what, what has continued off of that is this consciousness almost that I'm in now. Mm. Um, I feel like it's a massive splitting for me. And I think what I've been trying to deal with, especially, and I think now that I'm 30, I feel a lot more comfortable with the whole thing of motherhood because I feel I am older. Um, and mid-20s is, you know, living overseas, you know, it's it was the first time I was financially, um, you know, I could pay bills. And, you know, I sort of grew up in a sort of middle-class family, but we, we always struggled. Money was always tight. And so that, that year represented for me so much freedom you know just so much control yeah and then to fall pregnant i kind of felt like i'd thrown away everything my parents had worked for um mm. in pushing me to go to university you know and getting me there and then working so hard myself to get to where i had it was like this overwhelming sense of feeling stupid like the stupid girl mm. you know and especially coming from a small town it was this whole like do i go home like no it's like it's it's just so embarrassing mm -hmm. and i think what sort of unraveled from that point is that i'm just dealing with the whole thing and trying to like forgive myself for each stage of like mourning or celebrating because i think it's actually so normal i think mm -hmm. like we just we pathologize so much of like people's reactions to motherhood and falling yeah and like unplanned pregnancy which is like it's Yo, it's it's a fuck show, mm. honestly. Mm. Like no one talks about, mm. you know, like if, if you're planning your pregnancy, you've decided, you know, um, in like maybe just in my estimate, but for me, you've decided that you're at a place where you want to do this and maybe you're financially stable and you have that extra room in your house. Yeah. Like, I'm just like, you know what I mean? And that, like you, I feel like unplanned pregnancies mean you're always playing catch up. Like mm. I still feel like I'm playing catch up and it's four years later. Mm. And um, sorry, I'm coming at this from like the roundest mm. point. <laughs> I think while I obviously like I love my son more than life itself like he's but absolute every single night I lie in bed and I'm just like oh thank you God even yeah. though I don't really believe in God anymore but I'm just like thank you God so much yeah. but at the same time I am slowly letting 
go of that girl I was. And I, and I think, like, I found um, a psychologist, sorry, and I'll send you her name because she just writes such incredible things. Uh, she's on Instagram. I think she termed the term mat- uh, matriescence yes. or matriescence or whatever. Yeah. 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 Um, I think yeah. Her name's Alexandra something. Sorry, I can never remember things off the top of my head. And, like, she talks about how, like, you know, we talk about adolescence and puberty and, like, the shock and horror of all of that, but we don't talk about becoming a mom yeah. and how maybe I didn't have PP you know, like PTSD or PPD or whatever, maybe it was just like the loss of innocence that I was dealing with. And also being in your yeah. mid-20s. I and mean, the, the 20s is a fuck show, as you say, in and of itself, right? Your 20s yeah. is like another level yeah. of adolescence, but with yeah. consequences. Yeah. And then to add on top of that, yeah. like becoming a mom, it's and you've got to be responsible not only now for yourself, but also for somebody else. It's a huge uh, mm-hmm. adjustment. I, I think what also, um, now in retrospect, I think I've been quite disheartened by the fact that at that point, I wouldn't say I was religious, but I was raised in a Catholic home. Yes. And we were very like liberal and progressive and whatever. But being raised with that sort of like I was always pro-choice, always. But being raised with that idea, even though it was ne- it was just subtly communicated, you know, that you would regret abortion and that abortion yeah. is this thing that will follow you. And you know, that for me, it meant that I never really had a choice. Um, and also living in a country, obviously, where abortion was illegal. Mm. I could have gotten a legal one. But, like, is again, is that a choice? Like, mm. no, you're not being presented with a choice. So I think I always try to just, like, forgive myself for struggling with this and just to be like, I probably would have chosen my son anyway. Sure. But I wish I had felt like it was, you know, a proper choice. choice. Yeah. please. Can I eat it? And then I ate it. Then he was sick. Spotted on someone's head off. And everywhere on his butt. Then, 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 Sing all of the words. Okay, okay. In the face. Is that the end? Yeah. You end with a fart? Is that a fart that you ended with? Mama, but I don't see something. Honestly, yeah. You speak a lot about agency, um, but before we come back to that, I wanted to say um, also in your short story interview, um, the one that you did, you <laughs> you said something about the like, why is it important that I'm happy? Yes. And that line, it's you're talking one. about motherhood, like that line really <laughs> resonated with me. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I think that that's the thing is that, we, <laughs> that there's this assumption yeah. that, and it is true, you love this child beyond yourself as you say like I, you can't imagine you can't fathom that kind of love affair with anyone else but yeah. it's not a happiness in the way in which you can kind of understand happiness yeah. as being linked to freedom or agency or and and i think that it becomes a lot yeah. more limiting in a way mm. and that for me was really it resonated so i don't know if you mm. want to speak a little bit more about why is it important that i'm happy you know mm. <laughs> oh my god they just definitely like depressed megan talking there <laughs> Uh, like my mom always used to say to me, I remember when I was pregnant, 
to be like, you're so angry. And I think like at one point I was like painting like the makeshift nursery and I like kicked over a painting on purpose and like, and a ladder. And I was just like, well, of course I'm fucking angry. Look at my life. Like, yeah. yeah. yeah so happiness, like I've actually been considering that like quite recently actually, because um, just in light of abortion and just in, in, in light of like, living with things and I, I don't know if it's it's sort of come with turning city which i think has been like a, a really liberating sort of milestone for me but i think happiness is this misleading thing it's this misleading concept and of course it's like it's a very american thing mm-hmm. uh, you know to want to be happy whereas like i sure i have moments of happiness and i think like happiness is always something you can see in retrospect but mm-hmm. living like an actual rich life that's like you know that's like a tapestry woven with so many different things you can a lot of stuff all the time mm. um i don't know if if you can be happy while living a very rich life i, I, don't, I don't know if that makes sense i think it does make sense yeah yeah I, I i think like i also think i, I was um because i have had an abortion uh when my son was uh 18 months i felt pregnant again and you know sometimes i think uh, you know you have like the twinges of regrets and blah 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 and i was just thinking um about two nights ago, I was like, this is just something I'm living with. And that's okay. You know, it's it doesn't have to be this, like, definitive thing. It just mm. is. Mm. And I think that's been very powerful for me. Because we just, you know, obviously, like, the happiness thing comes in because people just expect you to be so fucking overjoyed yeah. um, that you're a mom. <laughs> Whereas, like, what is a... What does a mom actually translate to? Like a mom in, in the daytime, that is someone who's waking up earlier than everyone else, making lunches or or nursing or waking up and being so depressed she has to do it all over again. And then like maybe being stuck at home and not being able to go to like fancy bubble jungle or coffee shop because you broke and you're not working right now because, you know, you've got a very small child. So then like, what the fuck is being a mom? It's being trapped in a house, possibly with other people you don't like, or maybe you're alone, which is possibly even worse. And then you've got this creature who is shitting and crying and biting your nipples like yes. how <laughs> is this supposed to be for you know what i mean like where where are we ever going to like how, no that's not bliss it's not bliss like on any level yeah and i and i think that's perfectly fine i think no, we can just like I, um, I, know, I have a lot of feelings about this. You can talk. No, it's great. So do we. It's wonderful. <laughs> you put right in here. <laughs> you put um, into the slab. <laughs> um, <laughs> the killjoy mom trap. Um, so this actually talking about killjoys. This really makes me think. As you're speaking, I'm thinking so much about Sarah Ahmed, and what yeah. she speaks about, like the. Um, you know the the kind of things that emotions do like you're saying happiness is an american concept yeah. it's about selling it's about selling a vibe it's about selling a mood and there's so much stuff around mothering that is now precisely about that about selling a mood about selling a vibe it's so um sanitized of these things that you speak about right the other thing i want to do is say and these things actually aren't related forgive me um <laughs> is that um you were saying now when you were thinking about um your about this abortion that you had had i've been doing a lot of reading ask kathleen she's probably the person who i torment the most with my thoughts about it but about, <laughs> about um past lives and about like regressions but also about you know just thinking about who not even thinking about but feeling who you might have been and whether you know who that was oh, or not this is my jam oh. <laughs> yes girl yes <laughs> I'll catch your number on the other side. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> no, my point is just 
what you're saying for me that just resonated as this is something you're doing in this part of the episode the next episode will, will be, be different with its own thing yeah yeah yes you know? <laughs> yeah. not related but yay <laughs> yeah so I totally, I hear that. Um, wait, wait, are we talking, sorry, okay, just like caveat, I have ADD, so I literally like, as I'm like thinking about something, it flies out my head. <laughs> so, did you, so is there a question so in that? Is, is there, there a question? question? Is there a question? There is no question in that. That was <laughs> just, like, okay, yay, that yay, is, I'm not losing my mind. <laughs> you're not, no. I just have so much self-doubt all the time. I'm like, okay, <laughs> it just needs something wonderful. I agree. Uh, <laughs> Okay. No, no but <laughs> okay. No, 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 I think. No, but, like, no, but literally, the past life thing for me is so interesting. And like, mm. why I'm like, oh my god, I'm literally gonna stay. Like the um, and, like I think I actually probably Google that shit like every night. Um, <laughs> and I think it is just so interesting because you know, in terms of like, I don't know how your guys like pregnancies and everything were and whatever, but yeah, I, I definitely think it does mark like they. It is this like defining breakoff point. What well, was for me at least, and I yeah. and I think. I'm always thinking back to that girl and wondering if she's like still living in Bangkok maybe or if she like um, made it to New York or yeah, you know and if there's like yeah. some other like million universes where yeah. you're like dancing in a club right now in a different time zone, <laughs> you know, and I have totally. <laughs> I completely yeah. hear you. Yeah. It's quite nice to think about it like that as well. But also what fucks me off the most about motherhood is the lack of information. And I think you even allude to it in some of your, your, your interviews where if you know, and I suppose you can never know, but definitely there's like a curtain or a cloaked like cult around motherhood right mm -hmm. and talking about like the real stuff that really comes with it and being really vulnerable and open to those conversations i don't know i feel as though one that no one tells you that you're going to be super fertile for the next two years after you've given birth you know so the story mm -hmm. of falling oh, pregnant oh and then having the baby yes. and then falling pregnant again is a very normal story for a lot of people yeah and well, again yes. like then, and when it happens for so many people are like what the fuck oh, that well that was fast that was fast so the judgment yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> let me in on the secret so like smug and they like have mm. that perfect perfect 18 month age gap i'm like that wasn't planned that wasn't planned like just you just got pregnant. You were just as scared and angry as I was. Yeah. You just kept yeah. yours because your husband's bitch. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, Absolutely. Don't be angry. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Yeah. 100%. Then, no, my friend, um, Sporgile Fisher and I, um, like one of the first things we ever like spoke about when we met finally face to face. Uh, and she's like a phenomenal writer and mother. And oh, she's just like crazy incredible. And I remember us speaking about how I, and yeah, she was actually the woman who told me she literally said to me she's like because i think i just had the abortion and she was like the first person i told like outside like i didn't really tell like i didn't tell family at all or whatever like mm. i feel like these things are like easier shared amongst like other artists yes. or whatever like yeah. so i need to know shit sometimes and i remember like saying this to her and she was like yeah well the ladies at the clinic the sisters at the clinic had told her that like your i don't I, I don't know the science but i think it was like your cervix is lower or more open for the next year or whatever after giving birth and I was like, wow, yeah. you know, and, and it teamed like teamed with that whole myth of breastfeeding gives yes. you like it's, it's you're setting women up for actual disaster. You yes. actually lie. I don't know why this hasn't been interrogated on some major like FDA kind of level because we are literally not told that. I think know? it hasn't been interrogated. And granted, this is again like a uh, conspiracy theory, but 
I do think that there is some merit in what I've read or heard other women say where, well, not even other women, actually. I heard it from a misogynistic man first. In a, in a circle of ours, a man said every time his wife started to act up, he would give her a baby because it would shut her the fuck up. And she would then be busy with the baby for the next while because we know how demanding having a small baby and having a small toddler is, right? Then he could go on with his philandering ways or do whatever whatever he was doing. But then if you think about it structurally, like you are... You, exactly and you and you you go so inwards to yourself you're mm. you're stuck in a house you become a lot more domestic you become a lot more myopic in your brain mm. like neurologically yes. you're more myopic you're not actually yes. and this is what i find so incredible about about you is that you i think you have found your um or not found but you've certainly exercised your creativity and possibly i think in a quite a conscious way um with mothering or through mothering right but i think that for a lot of mothers that's not the case where you become a lot more just inward and 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 channeling acts or doing acts of service for other people where you're so depleted that you have very little to give so i even think that like there is something to be said about don't say don't tell them the truth about mothering because then you're going to have less people mothering and possibly Mm. more women doing and not to say that mothers don't do incredible things they do but i just you know there's a specific point in your life that is very unique Mm. yeah and you're mm. not you're not like you're not sort of like owning the means of production like basically it comes down to like you being in a house and like you start making your house pretty because that's the only way you can like feel creative right now or you know you like you fix something in the house while the baby's asleep because resting feels too self-indulgent and then if you do rest you feel sick because like everyone's telling you that you should be doing a million things i don't know it's it's a trap like i have so many thoughts on this and i just think that today especially i was thinking shit you know it would be so nice just to be at home with my son just to be like or to have that option yes of just being at home mm. with him this afternoon and then i was just like you know I've, i had that time with him for nine months um and granted it's different now because he's four but work is just so important it's so important for your well-being i mean especially like if, if you're creative or a feminist or whatever like you, you need to produce to feel good about yourself but then at the same time i'm also like I, I mean i guess this is what mothering does it just makes you go so inward i'm also thinking but wait am i also saying fuck you to the system by being at home with my child and not making money and you know mm-hmm. is that also in its in itself like a profoundly radical kind of like you know middle finger yeah yeah but it's just not as pleasant though as being no it's tricky this is something i wanted to ask you so what what how do you what do you make of being or of identifying as a feminist mother because this is a recurring conversation for us both on this platform and even more so offered, I would say. I mean, we, 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 we often speak about Kath and I, but also, you know, with other friends, some who are mothers and some who aren't, about like, you know, because I think part of what you're speaking about is, you know, in honoring the fact that your creative space is a space where you think and play and you get to be Megan as Megan, not Megan as Ollie's mom, um, and how precious that is, right? And how important it is to protect it, right? So, you know, for me, those, those, those things are actually radical acts of mothering yeah. because yeah. choosing yeah. you know they are and so yeah so i mean i'm i'm always just curious to know like how do you make sense of some of that i love this question i think because i've like had to think about it very hard obviously in light of everything that's happened like gender-based yes. violence and this, mm. these 
fucking women dying all the time because men are just killing us and raping us yeah. um, in this country and like also like raising a white boy yes um, I think about this so much like every temper tantrum he has like I'm like oh my god is this like shades of the colonizing like like he can't have that tantrum in public because it's like structurally he just has he's going to have more power one day like I, I just feel like I have such a like hectic duty to almost mm. uh, I don't know like just prune every kind of bad habit I see coming out of him which is like it's unfair like on no, I don't think it's unfair I think I'm just very aware and this is where like I fall back on feminism all the time that I'm trying to create a home where we live with like sex positive body positive Mm. values and pro-child values and like and like i think that all of those correlate to being pro-choice um and i think like mothering as a feminist is like i think it's it's constantly having those difficult discussions same with his dad like where we have to be like okay Mm. but like this is definitely this is a very uh, like toxic brand of masculinity that's coming out. Like for instance, my son loves to fight. Like mm. he loves mm. to, um, he calls it play karate. Mm. That's his favorite thing on earth. Every single day he wants yeah. to come home and play karate with his dad. And so like at the moment, and mm. I, I mean, maybe this sounds ridiculous, but it's, it's seriously stressing me out because I'm like, if this child is rough and I've never allowed swords and guns in this house and where is he getting these ideas? Because yeah. they're not mine. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm like, so, so I don't know, I think like being a feminist and being a feminist mom is sort of like living in that space where your ideals and like what you believe in and your politics aren't necessarily always going to translate. Mm. Um, and you're not mm. going to like get it right all the time, if any of the time. But I think as long as, as long as I am being an example to him, I think maybe that's, that's the most important thing. As long as he sees sure. that I'm creating and that's priority for me, to be creating and to have my own money and to travel, you know, and to just constantly, I, I don't know how, how, um, mm. at what age really one does, you know, like X, Y, Z. And I think in South Africa, we have a very weird space in that time, you know, we're sort of treading this new ground in raising our children. Mm. Um, but like also how, like people aren't very explicit about yeah. how they are doing that in Absolutely. Like, this context. Mm. So like, yeah, you know, like raising a boy, what, what does that mean? Mm. How, how do you, how are we going to make sure that they don't turn into misogynist pigs? Like, you know, because they're these beautiful, soft little creatures. And I've seen it with my son. He's, he loves me. He adores me, whatever, whatever. And then all of a sudden he turns four. And there's this like hardness, you know, that's mm. sort of creeping in. And I'm like, sure. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you guys notice that. Like, it's like the influences are going to get them. Um, <clears throat> and they just have to like, you know what I mean? It's like, they, like as long as, I don't even think it's enough. But I just... I just want to try so hard to make sure that he's a decent person. Sure. I think that's the biggest. And it does feel like structurally it's against you, right? Mm. In in doing that, because it's exactly what you're saying. Like, w- no matter what your home environment is like, yeah. Yeah. no matter how much you try and really nurture them and nurture their gentleness and their vulnerability, there is a hardness that, that creeps in. And I can totally mm. hear you, and it, it really does resonate where you have these freakouts periodically because um, like my son is, and and I've said this before on the podcast, certainly on this platform, he is an incredibly, he's hyper-masculine and I struggle with that, you know, and I, and I think I've even said on the, on on a previous episode that um, the pregnancy with him, I've had, now I've got two boys. 
um, the pregnancy yeah. with my firstborn was an incredibly difficult pregnancy. And I think it's part in part because I was carrying this hyper-masculine energy and I didn't know what the fuck to do with it. And oh, it's like exists gosh. inside of me. And like, mm. I, I, it was, it was a very, it felt like an out of body experience in ways. I look back at that person and I don't recognize her. And I think that there's some things that were my things around becoming a new mom and whatever, whatever. But I actually do think that there are some things that were, that, that are his things, that is his energy. And now that I see him become his own person, he's now three and a half more and more. I'm like, I recognize some of that from that period. Like a, you know, so yeah. I think that's, that's incredible. Yeah. Oh my God, I literally, you've like literally just shifted something so hectic in my mind. Like just because I, at the moment I've been looking at his aggression, uh, aggression, but like his very like hyper masculinity, like loves soccer, loves rugby, loves this, you know, like walks around like his opens, you know, <laughs> and I've been looking at this and I'm thinking, is this because I had a difficult pregnancy? Is this because I was depressed and I was so angry? But now I'm thinking maybe it was his fault. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> right where you're just like actually i'm yeah. fucked off i'm pissed off with everybody everybody's gonna know that i'm fucked off and you don't have that yeah. you don't have that with with and she, d's also got a boy and this is what i also find so interesting yeah. is that all these feminists yeah. or our gr entire group of girls or girlfriends boys. are having boys <laughs> what the fuck and can i tell you it's basically to say it's basically to say oh so you motherfuckers are feminists that's so cute so here's some boys. Let's see if you can do better, right? Let's see how that works out for you. <laughs> and it's scary. It's so That's scary. How I feel. Yeah. It's so scary. Like all, and, and you get like, oh, white people, like white old people of the same generation, loves to say like the whole like, oh, but you don't have to worry about boys. You know, they just raise themselves. It's like, well, motherfuckers, look where we are now. <laughs> you just let them raise themselves. Exactly. You know? Exactly. You know, and I just, I just see like how. You know, because I, I live with Karen and Ollie, so I've got two men, and I grew up with a oh. sister and a mom in a very female kind of hidden household. Yeah. And I'm living on this thing, you know, I, I don't like to be um, sort of like masculine versus feminine energy, whatever, but it really is a thing. It <laughs> is a thing. It's totally it's a, a thing. thing. It's like beautiful spaces. Yeah. Where I have like my flowers and like my books and, you know, like my little icons or whatever. These two are obviously fucking up the bed because they're like wrestling, yeah. you know, and breaking stuff. I and mean, I heard so much stuff fall to the floor last night, and I'm just eventually like, boys, can you just not? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? And then I see my friends have girls, and they're like, oh, you know, we just painted today. And you're like, that's not my life. I know. <laughs> I've also heard people say that. Exactly. And I'm like, so beautiful. I know. <laughs> yes. I know. Yes. 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 That's not That's my household. Not our girls, yeah. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. I often say that I live in a frat house because yeah. I've got three boys and I'm totally outnumbered. And I caught myself recently about a week and a half ago, like literally saying to the boys, I wish one of you had a vagina. Because literally oh, no I was way. just like, oh my God, like none of you get it. And they were just like, okay. Both my four-year-old, no, well, three-year-old and my partner were both like, you, I don't want a vagina. And I was like, you see, this is the problem. <laughs> Like leave the room, you know. Um, it there is something. There is something. 
And I, I remember like one of my friend's moms telling me she's got like a twin boy and girl, and then she's got like my friend who's a woman. And I remember saying to you know, when the twins were younger, the girl would like sort of go to like the little party dresses, and you know, she had this like magical like make believe world, and she can't sign nothing, and the boy would just run for the swords and the guns. And yeah, yeah. I am six month old pregnant feminist like idealist saying, oh no, you know, that's just like socialization. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The judgment, you created yeah. that. And now, like, you have yeah. to look around the room and look at your own life. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's odd. Nice. It's odd. Yeah. Oh, it's so nice to hear that I'm not alone. <laughs> no, you're really not. Oh, please, can you tell me about the bee? I will. I'll keep them sitting in that. Laughing at you? I don't laugh at you. Oh. I didn't mind that you were doing that. So the bee mm-hmm. thought that the sock was nectar. Oh, because what colors did you have on your sock? Blue. Mm-hmm. Red. And orange and pink mm-hmm. and what other one? Perhaps yellow. And does it make yellow? Mm-hmm. Two yellows. Two yellows. Okay, got You spoke a little bit about well, in relation to what Kat said about a tough pregnancy, and I mean, I'm just curious, was it a, was it tough physically, or I mean, we, you've spoken um, about some of the emotional stuff, but yeah, I think um, so. In the beginning, I was like super, super sick, and I was alone in Bangkok. So my partner yeah. came home. I think when I was seven weeks pregnant, so I was alone until um, just under, uh, no, yeah, just under four months. Um, so my like first trimester was like. Um, I just had like super, super bad morning sickness and uh, felt very alone, obviously, all the emotional crap. Mm. Um, but it's weird because I had really good health care because I was living in Bangkok and had a great job. That was like really amazing. And then I had to pack up my life. But I mean, I did this to myself. I decided I was going to come back. So, and I decided I wasn't going to move in with Chad, my partner. Mm-hmm. I was going to move on to my mom. Okay. So obviously, like pregnancy hormones were like making me a bit soft, and I was like, "This is, this is what I'm doing." <laughs> it's, like, I was so scared of becoming trapped. You know, we never lived together, and I was like, "Shit." I'm 25 and I'm pregnant. Is it a good idea just to move in with them? Then, like, sure. you, like, what does that mean for me? So, anyway, mm. I moved home when I was four months pregnant, and then, um, then it was just like one bad thing happened after another. Like, physically, I was fine by that stage. Okay. Like, the morning sickness was way better and everything. But then, my partner lost his business, uh, and he was living in Cape Town at the time. So, it meant that medical aid, everything was out the window. So, then I went from like my dining and that to um, clinic and state healthcare, which like millions of women like have to do but it was just kind of a series of things and then we completely broke and then my grandpa died and my dog went missing oh, and um oh, and i was living with my parents and yeah no, it, it was it was just it was just such a shitty time to be pregnant mm. it was like it was like just very very bad timing yeah so i think like emotionally it was a very difficult pregnancy but physically like besides like fine. my first mm. trimester it was fine and the, um, but then I had a very difficult birth. So I, I was going to say, do you, you want to speak a bit about the birth? 
because your boy <gasps> is 4.3. Yes, I saw that on yeah. Insta. Oh and my God, 4.6. Mine was 4.6, 4.3. So I get it. Get it. I totally oh get God. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So talk to oh, me about the birth. What was your birth like? So I had like thought, so I did like all this research and went right, because I just have to research everything. And <laughs> what is suiting me at this point, because I like put it to my, my partner like this. I was like, okay, we went for like the hospital visit at the, at the hospital. And I was like, could you take a shit in front of all these people here in this room with those lights? He was like, no, ew. And I was like, so how am I supposed to be here? I was like, all these people. Hey, like, motherfucking men. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Yes. <laughs> And you went into labor normally, like nat- naturally or without induction. 15 days over. Two Woo! Years. My lord. Oh, my lord. Days. So, like, and she hadn't, like, checked how much the baby was weighing. So, I mean, that would have changed everything, you know, because there's no chance that, like, I mean, at that stage, I'm still, like, a size 32, you know, and I weighed 15 kilograms when I fell pregnant. So, like, what? Like a 4.3 kg, that's not coming out. That's not. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so then, yeah, we had, like, it was quite nice because they had like the pool and how like the like you know like set up like the yeah 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 the birth pool thing yeah, yeah. and it was I, I try when I look at my birth to just see this part of it and that's like how empowering it was to be warm water and every contraction was kind of manageable because you know the water helps blah 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 and then the motherfucking midwife had then told me that she was pregnant so she goes and sleeps okay? oh wow wow. She yeah, yeah, okay. So now I'm in labor and I moved very quickly, like from like passive labor into active labor. And wow. then she sort of like came through and she's like, no, you must just push now. So I'm like, oh, okay. What? And seven hours later, of pushing. I was still pushing. No, no. No, for real. So, like, so it, it was it was very very it obviously it, like that was like the worst hour of my life then it turned very quickly because mm. what happened is i remember like i remember feeling like this immense like bone grinding pain in my pelvis and um so a few days prior i started feeling like very very bad um i think it's like pubosynthesis you know like that uh, very, very yes. bad like growing pain mm. and i said to a chiropractor look i've researched this <laughs> i am scared my pelvis is going to sort of open in birth he was like, no, 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 very rare, it doesn't happen. Anyway, it happened to me. Oh my God! Baby was too you big. are yeah. shitting me. What? So the this f- woman was making me push a 4.36 kg baby on essentially like a broken or split pelvis and then telling me that no, going to the hospital would be like the worst thing ever. Come on, I'm almost there. So yeah, I'm like, obviously like it's, it's funny now because I have to laugh, but at the time I felt this like, what the fuck, like I'm crying. 
you know, I'm like sobbing, I'm bleeding yes. so much. Oh my gosh. Oh my and God, Megan. Yeah. And then eventually I was just like, so I begged her. I begged her for about an hour and a half to just be like, to be like, please, I, I, I want to go to the hospital now. This is scary. And I just had this feeling that like, things were just not going to go well if we stayed in that space. Anyway, eventually she sort of like giggled. Uh, and she's like, oh, okay, fine. And we went to, uh, we went to the hospital. Uh, the surf, I, I was very lucky because I had a few friends at the time who were doing their, uh, it's not comsurf, they were doing their internships at that hospital. Okay. And I remember walking in and I recognized one of my friend's friends from a dinner party. Mm. And I, I think her name was Christy Acousti. I still can't look at her. I still in the blue version the other day. <laughs> <laughs> and I literally screamed at her and I was like, and she's like, oh my god, oh my god, she's like, runs off. My midwife literally said to me, uh, oh, just give birth in the corridor. No! Oh, no what way. the fuck? What Megan. the fuck? Yeah, no, no, for real. Anyway, eventually, like, the head of surgery in, like, the like, department or whatever saw me and, like, examined me or whatever without my consent, obviously, because they're not, like, asking anyone if they can do anything. Stuck his whole flipping arm into my vagina and was like, this child is transfers. It's, he was never going to come out anyway. Oh my so, God. So then I had an emergency C-section and the woman, the, the midwife told me about 10 days later when she came to like do like a, like a post-birth checkup that she'd never had any problems with the births. I was the first one. <gasps> Again, let's blame so, you. What the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck? This midwife sounds like a serious problem. Wow. No. no, I know. And so, like, I was like, I, like for the first three years, I literally grappled with suing her because I was like, I yeah, that was going to be my next question. But like, I couldn't. I just couldn't deal. You know what I mean? I like, I, I felt like she had so much control over my body and, and my life, and I, I mm. almost, I almost feel like an abuse victim with her. If that Absolutely. makes sense, like, I just like, I don't ever want to see her again. If I ever see her again, I'll just, I, I don't even know. I'll yeah, like, you may actually. Yeah. You should never have to plead somebody. Sorry. You should never have to plead with somebody to go to the hospital. Yeah. For an hour and a half. Like, please, I yeah. need to go. I, yeah. Something's terribly wrong with my body. I yeah. know what's going on in my body. <gasps> yeah. God, I'm so sorry. Wow. No, thank you. Yeah, no, so I just, I, I just think, um, so I mean, that's a, that's a huge reason why I didn't go mm. through my second pregnancy. Because I was like, I just can't even fathom. Mm. Even like labor pains now, like, like period pains remind me of labor pains. And labor pains remind me of my pelvis is splitting and... I'm just like, no, like, like, no, that I remember feeling like the cow and like, there were all these women, like we were just like, I, like you guys know how like, you, you guys in the maternity ward, like in the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know how you just have all these women in like these floral nightgowns. It's like, <laughs> you just hear this moaning and crying and I'm just, and it maybe because I was like in like this part of the state hospital, which is like, like quite shitty, but it, it was just such a trauma, man. Like people just treated like animals. So I was just like, no, this is. Sure. This is wrong. Like we just dehumanize mothers on such a massive level, hmm. and like violate women. You know, yeah. not, not asking if you can break water. It's not asking if you can do internal examinations. Those are all sexual assaults. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And, like, it's just fine. This is the doctor yeah. doing it. So. Had yeah. your, so had your water broken? Yeah, so, yeah, so that was my birth. <laughs> Shit. So what happened is. Yeah. So the timeline for me is a bit weird because of like PTSD and stuff. I remember her telling my partner to hold my legs open. And I was like, no, 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 I'm not doing this. I think by this stage, the, the pelvic pain had started. And I was like, no way, no way. And I remember struggling, whatever. And she was like, no, just, she was like, just listen to me. And I, she had promised me and oh man, fuck, I, I look back now. I was just so naive. She had promised me 
she doesn't do internal examinations. She just lets the birth happen naturally. But she yeah. ended up doing like I think like three like internals, and then eventually she broke my waters. But I, I remember saying something else. It wasn't just my waters. It was something like um, the membranes. I don't know if that's like oh. the same thing or not. Is the same. Yeah. Mm. But I remember so much blood mm. and this mm. fucking. It looked like a knitting needle, like. Mm. And, uh, That's what she was told. She didn't ask mm. me if, I, if, if she could. That was mm. like my biggest thing. She wasn't like, "Are you okay with me doing this?" She was like, "This, this, I'm doing this now, whatever." And so, like, my partner's like, because I've said to him, "Do you remember that he, she told you to hold me?" And we've, he's kind of been like, "No, that's not what happened." But that's what I remember. And mm. I, I feel like so much of you know what happens to you when you're like traumatized or whatever is that like if you experience something as a trauma, it is trauma. It doesn't mm. matter if like. You know, 100%. Like subjectively. So yeah, that's why I'm just like so, so hectic about postpartum health and how we treat laboring mothers. And, you know, like labor is, it's such a sensitive time and it's, you know, you're so vulnerable. And mm. like the slightest, like slight against you can do so much damage. But when people are actually violating you physically and emotionally, yeah. And I just, just to think, you know, when you, you know, I like, I'm sure you guys sit and you have these conversations like, you know, with your friends, oh, how's your birth? Again, it's that cloak around motherhood and, and birthing and actually you only have that conversation with people who have given birth. Yeah. You don't talk yeah. about it with people who haven't given birth um, or, who, no. or who haven't even thought about having kids yet. And I think that it's important to start having those conversations and not in a fear-mongering way but in a way where you're just you're very transparent about the fact that there, there is there can be trauma you know yeah totally and that it's, is it's not necessarily like you know n- nature doesn't mean like soft and gentle i think we sort of have confused nature for something else like <coughs> nature can be you know like a contraction is a violent thing to you just literally expelling something out of yeah you. Yeah, I mean that in and of itself, that's amazing and it's powerful. But that doesn't mean it's not going to be terrifying. And like, it just this also makes me so grateful for C sections and like science. And and very specifically at that point, I realized like how important like hospitals and like Western medicine and like that branch of science is that we can literally take a woman and cut the baby out. Like for me, like after having this like this like this pelvic thing and like this baby like. Like bearing down on my broken pelvis, I was just like that. That you can cut it out of me. Uh, mm. I'm just so grateful. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Good lord, that birthing story is a lot. Whew. And um, yeah. Shame. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I told someone, they were like, "This is not real." <laughs> but I've heard horrible like no. stories. Yeah. No, 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 no. I, I think mean, it's a lot more norm. I think it's a lot more common than than yeah. we sh- it yeah. should be. Yeah. Um, and exactly what you're talking about, like no consent around like mm. what the woman wants or like touching her body or internals. And internals are fucking painful. They are yeah. so oh. such a violation mm. at that particular so. time. And you know, like I know that there are people who are like internal happy, like they want to just give endless internals. And you're like, you have to be very clear. But that person also has to yeah. be very receptive. Yes. to that clarity and very often that doesn't happen mm. Mm. shit 
That's... I, I remember like when I was like um, sort of doing like my milk fever tour mm. and I, at the time, um, Oshanga had organized for me to speak to some medical students at UCT. And I remember it was like about like 20 people in the room or maybe few, I don't know. And there were a few men in the back row. And when I spoke about this and I, I said it like quite bluntly, I was like, just because you're in a medical context doesn't mean that what you're doing is not a violation and that it's not sexual assault. And I remember like this like shame, this like a skinny white boy in the back row um, and he looked like a teenager. He used to start crying. Oh my God. Like falling. And I was like, so I went up to him afterwards, um, you know, and we were all sort of milling around and having wine. And I was like, are you, are you fine? And he was like, he had never, ever thought about that way. way. And he, mm. like, he was like, from that moment, he's literally going to tell every single med student he knows, all of his friends. He's yeah. Like, and, and he was just so horrified that he was already in fourth year of med school and no one had ever said mm. that about a woman Absolutely. in labor. Mm. And I just thought yeah. that, you're, like, what are we doing to doctors as well? We're taking mm. these, like, poor human beings and dehumanizing, you know, or, like, mm. erasing that capacity for empathy. Yeah. Because um, that's what you're doing when you don't tell absolutely. someone that, like, a laboring mother doesn't want you to just shove your fingers inside Yeah, you. absolutely. And, and, and yeah. And, that's violating them as well. So mm. I just I thought that was super super interesting. Mm. Mm. And Should've... how normalized it is, yeah. So what was your postpartum care? I mean, what like how did you? How long did it take you to recover afterwards? And you're now dealing with a newborn. You're in your mother's house. What was that period like? Oh, it was hell, like actual hell. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> like um, I was in the hospital for three days, and I think I spent the three days like just begging the nurses to discharge me. Or a doctor, anytime a doctor came around, I was just like, like literally sobbing because, like, so there wasn't any bassinet or whatever, so the baby just with you the whole time. And the nurses had not written on my thing that I had a C section, so they made me like, so they wanted me to like shower myself and get dressed or whatever. And the one time, like, eventually when I was like sobbing and I was like, I can't stand, I've had a C section, can you help me? And I think I'd been given pethidine like a couple hours before, and I remember this nurse just called the catheter out of me, she was just like. And I was like, I was like, no. And then this baby's like lying on the bed and there's no like railings or anything. You're just like hoping that the baby doesn't fall on the bed, like on the floor. And then the visiting hours are weird. Like, I don't know if you guys gave birth in private or, or public, but like, mm. state the father can come for like a few mm. windows a day, but they're not staying with you. Then I went home and everyone was like, why are you so angry? Yo. And yeah and um i i don't like it's like at that moment I, I sort of look back at that like very young woman and i'm like yeah. this is why we need to check in with women after birth just come through and be like hey is there anything that bothers you mm. are you okay with how that went mm. down i mm. think just simple like like mm. debriefing could, mm. could really prevent so much ppd like yeah. um i went home and no one really spoke about my pelvis even though i, I had these like two like double thinking you know like either side there's like like cops, you could like put your hand around and like pull, and they were there, like these little like raised ups, and yeah, it was just weird. I think my partner went back to work like after four days, and my mom and I have a very difficult relationship, and she's mm. a wonderful woman and whatever, but she's she's well, she's controlling. Mm. So oh, that whole that whole period was it was crazy. It was just very very negative. I just didn't feel like I could do anything. Um, and obviously, like with the C section, you're stuck at home for six weeks. Yeah. Um, non-driving so mm. oh, people need to look after their c-section friends because that first six weeks i think without driving or being able to do much is so awful mm. yeah mm. yeah Shit. 
so I don't know I like had a really weird thing just because I was living with my folks maybe it's like it must be so much easier if you're by yourself but at the same time I think I felt so disempowered by at that stage that I didn't even think I could do it alone yeah, yeah. there's so much but going it, on like, definitely I mm. think the, the first year was the worst it was the worst year of my life like hands down like mm. just like that's why I appreciate everything so much now because yeah. I just you know I see how tight I was and how mm. bored and depressed and like mm. I remember telling my mom when Ollie was six, no, three weeks old. I remember, I, I don't know if she was crying or whatever, and I was like, Mom, I feel like I don't know this baby. And she's like, No, that's not whatever. And I was like, Yeah, but I feel like the baby died in birth and that this baby is not mine. Like, I literally feel so detached or whatever. And she was like, Oh my God. But like, I, I don't think like anyone was thinking the stuff she's saying is enough to warrant us taking her to go and get some professional help. Like, sure. she's not just, you know, a bit like bummed and sleep deprived. Like, this is, you know, hitting towards something very bad. Mm. Um, I, I didn't have any friends who had, I had one friend who had a baby and she was in Cape Town. So I didn't know any moms except the moms in my antenatal class. And they were like mm. all in their 30s. They all planned a baby. So different, yeah. Most of them so struggled to fall pregnant. Mm. And, um, like I, I, like I couldn't exactly be like, oh, I, I hate my life now as a mom with my unplanned mm. pregnancy when they struggled like with IVF and everything. This so, does bear the question around, that we that like that again like, like a theme that we keep coming back to, which is the importance of a community of other moms. Yeah. Mm. Absolutely right, Kath. I think that this is an issue that we keep coming back to. This idea of community and um, ideas are or just stuff around talking about your birth what was your birth story you know how you how do you feel about being a mom like both in that kind of immediate moment after having had the baby because it's also real then even though as you actually mentioned it takes a really long time to like feel through some of that stuff yeah. right but but i wanted to say so yes absolutely this comes right back to that but i also think that you this is actually something we haven't spoken about before um on on mwa which is the loneliness we've spoken about loneliness in different iterations of being a mom Ooh. right but we haven't spoken about this thing that you're speaking about which is you were young you didn't your community was doing other like things. totally other things in <laughs> fact they were joining they were joining <laughs> yeah. they were living yeah. their best right and now here you yeah. are trying to figure out you know Am I producing enough milk? Like those kinds of things. It's like, the, oh. it's, it's, it's another mm. one of those ways in which like the way things are constructed as happiness is constructed and as you're supposed to be happy about the baby, you're also somehow supposed to know about the baby. The community that mm. exists for you and the baby is supposed to be there. And also it just shows you how prescriptive society is, right? So like you're saying, the other moms in the antenatal course um, had been either trying for a long time or the babies were planned and like you just like got pregnant right yeah so I think I mean I do think that is um, I think it's part of the same conversation but I think you're bringing something very new to the conversation and a different kind of loneliness yeah. you know because I'm listening to you and I've spoken about before um, on this platform how things went for me with Tao how alone I felt I, you know, Tao's dad and I, we were married, but we weren't married. We also conceived him in a different place. He left. I was pregnant alone for a long time. I came back. I moved in with my mom, you know, and, but like, so yep. they, they think we that I talk. recognize, okay? We need to talk. <laughs> 
<laughs> There's so many things I recognize, but I also recognize your, um, and I don't know if I can, if I can um, really honor this recognition, right? Because part of, I mean, the, I think that what we all lament something from that moment where you see the positive stick, right? But, but being younger, being a younger woman lamenting that, right? Completely mm. different thing. Mm. Completely different thing. So much of what you said, you know, I, I was like, wow, I hear that, I hear that, I hear that, I hear the terror, I hear even earlier when you said, you were like, oh my God, have I fucked up my child and now they're weird and hyper-masculine or just strange or whatever it might be because I was in such a space. Yeah. You know, I've done that a million times, ask Kath. Um, but yeah, so it's so interesting because so, so many um, parallels, but also so different, right? Because I... Early I must, 30s. Yeah, early 30s. So also again, just kind of a different space, right? And um, so I think you're bringing something really um, powerful to this conversation just by sharing your story, basically, yes, I want to say. Yeah. Might it be... Mm-hmm. Couldn't get any nectar. So it went to death. Oh. And then it was dead. Oh, wow. Because there's no nectar on your sock. Mm. Cool logic. And it and it almost stunned me. Oh dear. It didn't look. <laughs> oh good. I'm very happy to see. And um, sorry to be uh, further killjoy, but I think the three of us could sit here all fucking day long. So, briefly, can we speak about milk fever? <laughs> yes. Can we speak about milk yes, fever? Yes. Great. Okay. Cool. No, can, can we, we open? Yes, yes, yes. Can we okay. open up though? That you were saying that short form for you is more accessible for women mm. um, and that actually it's more accessible for women who mm. obviously have children who are who are moms um, so you've always loved short stories you've always yeah. loved like poetry and you kind of are writing various different me- various different things or in various different forms across you're yeah. doing a novel you're doing you know uh, poetry you're doing short stories um, but I wanted to just chat before we go to Milk Fever I know mm, no, uh, about go. just like your like being creative and, and being a mother oh. right and how you managed to do both and it's quite interesting that you've chosen the form of short stories and you've chosen the form of poetry because you're able as you say to kind of like you've got a block of time you can work in that block of time and you don't have the luxury of anything more so much of like um, art and making art um, everyone wants to skirt around the issue of finances uh, which I think is so stupid because um, money is what lets you make stuff. And um, when I was at home with Ollie, and we still lived with my folks, um, it like it was a very difficult time, but it was weird because it it's when a lot like it was a very fertile stage for my career. So like mm. he'd go to sleep for two hours, pump the coffee, um, you know, and I'd like write like super intense. I think that's when Milk Fever was written in like two hour, one hour gaps. Um, the same thing with so much of the fiction I was writing. And, and then now, you know, when we moved out, I had to, like, go back to work and everything, obviously. Um, and, you know, we're on, like, a dual income. And But I, I think being in this space where, you know, like, when you work for yourself, you have to buy the hours back from yourself. So I try to say, like, okay, I've made, like, X amounts today. That means I can take an hour for myself. And I, I think what's quite interesting about motherhood is that, like, now mothering has become this sort of, like, a fuel for me in my creative life. Mm, um, mm. Before, it might have been, you know, sort of the base experiences of, like, being a mom and, like, the day-to-day and the grind and the emotion. But now it's the thing, like, you know, like, a four-year-old is a very different thing to a baby. Like, four years old, you know, like, 
he he thinks he's Superman, you know, and and like he's got magic powers, and like he'll be like, oh, like um, like he'll pretend to be one of his PJ Masks characters, you know. Yeah. And I just think there's like childhood is such a beautiful, beautiful space. Um, it's just this gift, and and so much that I'm loving about motherhood now is almost being able to access that wonder and that like you know that just sort of belief in like how intrinsically magical life can be and mm. i think it's it's made me reflect on on the smallest things and the simplest things which i love like the sea shells my garden uh mm. you know crochet blankets mm. on like a rainy day it's it's those really like elemental things that bring you back down it's almost like looking at the cut primary colors again mm. you know as a palette um, and I think that that I, I always feel like you can see when a woman or when an artist is a mother, because there is this understanding of like bone and blood and color and light. Mm. You know, I just think it's so rich. Mm. One of the things that I observed about the poems was the form mm. and how <laughs> this this playing around with form, right? For me, I and sorry, forgive me if I get too like. Yeah, I'm so analytical and excited about this because I literally like love for this kind of thing. But um, but I just felt like part of what you're doing, and it's interesting that you just said you feel like um, you can see when an artist is a mother, yeah. right? Because there's something about how life is um, punctuated in ways before you become a mother yes. that's completely fucked and out the window when yeah. you do become a mother. <laughs> but to to put that to make it tactile seeable readable feelable that that's really incredible work megan and i just for me it just it resonated with me because i felt like i enjoyed the poem for what the poem is but what i was was kind of you know i was fascinated to to move on to the next or to i i, I haven't gotten through the whole thing like kathleen but i mean each one i i i was like oh Oh, cool now she's doing this okay cool and she's totally like disrupting this mm. you know um certain ideas i think critics, critics hated it <laughs> well i mean I, I i can imagine why right because it might yeah. seem too playful but i think that um and i suppose there's a lot that could be said in that realm but i don't think like that's you know um where we're going necessarily going with this but i i i loved it i felt like it was brave I felt like it was, um, um, there was something playful, but there yeah. was something very, very considered about yeah. each choice, yes. about how the words are separated, which yes. can feel annoying, but then you almost are pushed to wonder, why is this bothering me? You know, and when something yeah. do that to me, I love it. Like for me, I'm just like, uh, now yeah. I'm in dialogue with this work you've yes, created. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So I don't actually have a question, but maybe the, the question I do <laughs> could have from this long meander is how did you even think those things? Or you know, how yeah, how how did you make the choices you did about form? I was trying to like create like for me, that book was a way to like it was like a skin I was putting on to walk through motherhood. Because I felt mm -hmm. like motherhood was like this new universe with like sure. a new planet. So now I needed like my space suit to go there. And like mm -hmm. I felt like writing multiple each poem was like maybe like a like a component of, you know, that space suit. Like this was my oxygen, this was my vitamin, this was this, you know, and this is how I walk and I the the words and the images were i was very very specific i mean i went i had like lists and lists of like i'd have categories like organic electric um naturally occurring this uh colors yeah um and i sort of 
place with things. Um, but I think the other thing is that I have synesthesia. So, so much of like uh, what I experience is, is very, very, um, it's very much influenced by like experiencing like ordinary things like the calendar and like days of the week and stuff as colors. Um, okay. And sort of always having a kind of like, um, I have this like background music musicality with everything. So uh, I, I think my brain just likes to make patterns all the time. And the and also because I have OCD, so it's like a whole fuck show. But because I do, there's like this ordering system that I have. Yeah. And the ordering, when I know the pattern is complete, it's complete. Yeah. And like, I think that's what Mokuro was. It was me like mm. making my pattern. And I was like, and, and it was good. I was like, this is, I'm like, God, no, <laughs> it's fine, you know? Um, yeah, yeah I, I don't know. I think it was trying to like create internal order where there was like absolute like no Chaos order. and no yeah. order. Yeah. No, yeah. it's, it's, it's really incredible. And, um, yeah, earlier when I was saying, um, the reading it or the, the kind of the ways in which you split the words or, um, <clears throat> that it feels annoying. It's not annoying what you're reading. It's that it's, it disrupts something of the normative, oh, like something of the expectation, you know? And, yeah. um, uh, yeah. And I think that's interesting. So yeah, just, I think it's just so great. I remember um, Safia, oh, hello, sorry, she was talking about like sort of spaces and like there's a very fancy name for that, but obviously I can't remember anymore. Yeah. And um, her just being like, it's it's a gentler kind of pause uh, rather than a comma or a full stop. Yes. Um, and I thought also there's like something very pregnant about that, mm. you know, space and mm. then our desire to fill it. Like, mm. Yeah, so a lot of that was about space for mm. me and yeah, mm. what that means. It's so considered. It's exactly what you were saying. Like just the and, and just to think about the fact that you have these lists and the categorization for me is like it's quite incredible. Um, and it's so structured, but also so playful, right? And that's it, that's what's so interesting is that it's the playfulness is kind of it meets at the point of structure, which is 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 amazing. Mm. Um, yeah. Okay. So do you have you spoke about? travel and writing and the fact that travel yes. has really impacted yes. your writing and that I, I really like one of the things that you said where you'll be writing something and that it will completely change or it won't turn out the way that you imagined just because you've moved location or the landscape the yeah. physical landscape has changed around you um like how i i can imagine that in the last while um since the, since milk fever and and your uh, brittle paper award and so on you've been traveling more i know that you've gone to zanzibar you've gone you've done a, a whole range of things um how has that kind of impacted you so there's the as you say this megan before um you find out that you're mm. pregnant and this megan now you know with like i can imagine and I'm, i might be incorrect but i can imagine like a very playful young carefree person who's out in her mm. mid-twenties going off to explore and, and conquer the world in a way, mm. and then quite a different person who's traveling afterwards. Mm, that's so interesting. I think like I think now I'm actually living this sort of professional uh, career dream that yeah. I always sort of imagined um, for myself, just in the fact like, in, like with the basic idea that, it's, um, you know, like what I'm writing is taking me somewhere, you know, yeah. I get invited to somewhere because it's, and I think there's something, you know, that, that is a very different experience of traveling, like being taken somewhere because you've created something as opposed to like, you know, booking the ticket to like go and explore on your own mission. I think, um, I think maybe it's giving me a structure now. I mean, I used to do like stupid stuff when I traveled, like I just wouldn't make a plan. 
you know, um, and that's how I ended up in Bangkok. I just didn't make the plan and then I ran right on a month. And I, I always had this kind of like absolute willful disregard for, um, I don't know, what, what's, what's the word? Like cause and effect, like kind of like, um, mm. you know, I wouldn't really like look at how badly things could go. And I, I think now, yeah, I, I think now tra- travel's amazing because it just like, it like heightens that whole sense of like push and pull between mothers, you know, because you're like, you're away and you're doing like your cool shit and whatever, but then you're like missing your child. Yeah. You can't sleep, even though you're sleeping for like the first time in ages, you're like not really whole. Like you don't have that nice round feeling and there's their hair in your nose. You know, it's, I don't know, it's weird. Mm. It's like chemical. Mm. It is um, weird. Mm. Yeah, so I think that like 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 in in Zanzibar, I felt like this sort of like deep deep loneliness, like just in the first two days. And I was saying this like really like isolated beach, whatever. And um, and I, it was just interesting. Like uh, the stuff I've written there, it was just this. I was like struck by how isolated I felt, and I thought that's wonderful because in a way, my child's given me my own little community as yes, well. Yes. So yeah, it's interesting. Are you yeah. writing things down furiously? Is this? No, I'm just, I'm thinking as Megan's talking. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually, yeah, I'm actually already plotting, like, don't worry, I'm just being nuts. Um, I was just, okay, final, final thing, because, yeah, I really think we could, oh, wow, here's one more thing. Oh, my God, Megan. Um, No, but this is an easy one. So what are you currently, no, no, wait, I want to do it. No, is it a travel one? Okay, it's fine, then that's fine. Oh, wow. No, I just wanted to say... I hear you on the travel stuff um, and that um, every time I've been away also and often also work-related things, it's Mm -hmm. a weird feeling of there's a kind of glee, right? Like I want to say, right? Glee, I think it's a good word. Like, yes, I'm away and I'm alone. Yeah, praise Jesus. You know? And then you're like, okay, I've had a glass of wine now. And now it's five o'clock at home and like, you know, yes. what, what, what is he doing? You know, this is a weird psycho. Yeah. <laughs> I just want you to say, I hear you and I yes. revel in the glee. Um, and I also, I, I know, I know what you mean, that feeling. And yeah, just, I, I, yeah, it's. But you enjoy yeah, the missing. You enjoy you the do, missing. Right? You enjoy the missing because finally you have yes. an opportunity yeah. to miss them. Fuck. No, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> No. No, it's great. It's like, yeah. like sometimes I'm like, wallow in that feeling. I'm like, oh man, I'm so sad. Like, yeah. Then I'm like, yeah. is this sad? Has, has work become my like, fun? You know? Yeah. Well, that's that's what it is. That's what it is now. Well, true Wait, story. So my last question is, what are you currently obsessing yeah. over in terms of like what you're reading and what you're listening to and what's like moving you? Okay, I'll just do listening to quickly. So I'm having like I've, since I had my son, so I find like obviously like music and film incredibly evocative, mm. but. When I get depressed, I shut down that whole side of me. So I stop listening to stuff because I'm like, oh, music is way too emotional. So I'm just starting to like go back to like the basics of what I love. Like I really love reggae and ska. So I'm starting to like just just try and have that like permeate, permeating my house. Just like Damien Marley and like just uh, and Bob Marley. And um, now I can't think of like my favorite artist. Oh, man. <laughs> Tanya, Tanya? It's Tanya Stevens. 
it's okay. Um, so, and um, reading right now, so, oh, fuck, I, like, I have PTSD and ADD, so, and I, I don't know why I'm a writer, because I find reading really difficult at the moment, but I've just finished um, Shark by Francine Simon, which is amazing, okay. also Changa, and I've just finished um, uh, Everything is a Dead Sea Flower by Maneo. Yes, um, oh, I saw you, yeah. Um, also Changa, mm. absolutely incredible. Mm. I'm reading, like, a lot of children's books. Uh, of course, of course, <laughs> as it goes. <laughs> and I'm actually really, like, like, like jokes aside, I'm really, really enjoying um, being in children's bookspaces and mm. children's libraries. Mm. I think there's, there's like this beauty and the like illustration and the playfulness. Um, mm. You know, like I sort of got out like my like rolled doll treasury and I was yes. like, paging through and looking at the illustrations and I was like, wow, this is, you know, this is exciting. Like, like lots of problematic things about it, but like, mm. you know, there's something cool here that writers who adults don't do mm-hmm. um oh my gosh obviously i just forget everything that's gonna ask the question and i really like i have not watched what what am i watching right now oh my partner just makes me watch netflix at night otherwise i'll just sit on my phone and like social media and talk <laughs> 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 i like i need to like text you guys after this and be like <laughs> life i do have influences <laughs> <laughs> You're like looking at it like, come on, something. best note to leave it on because you're like fuck fuck what's the name and as you as we end you'll be like that's the one yes i I actually have been so i think what i like to do is i just read a million things every single morning before i start working and um at the moment i'm really really like obviously in the wake of like tony morrison passing away i've been like really like deep diving into like um imagery in Mm. her work um especially like in sula and beloved like these Mm. um and these ideas of like poetics of space and that like um gaston bachelard like i'm feeling very influenced by space and place at the moment so like um Mm. sort of like um notions of like the home being this sort of creative uh vehicle for so much and what do buildings really mean and what do they represent Mm. and um I think I'm quite interested in like dream work in in writers' uh, work, which which women and um, mostly African women seem to do like the most beautifully. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. Yeah, and I think this, I am writing a novel, so like place for me right now is like massively important, mm-hmm. um, and and how we treat those places, mm-hmm. like especially like the environment and that, and what that always means for women's bodies and mm. yeah, yeah. So I like. I always forget names <laughs> and titles, but I'll remember like like for instance I keep having like this like the um 
this uh, like snapshot in my head of like someone like holding a thing of seashells and mm. someone disappearing into a cave and whatever. And I think it's like the images that stay in my head constantly yeah. like kill me. Um, mm. So yeah, I think I'm, like I've gone back to like a lot of basics and um, especially with Toni Morrison because like she was my favorite writer of all time. Um, mm. And then just like technically being brilliant, I think of just well, she's technically brilliant, not me. I was phrasing that really badly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but like just going back and rereading and I think I think sometimes what we don't talk about is how like um, an accessible new work can be if you don't have a lot of money and you can't buy new books Mm. Um, and it can be hard for writers I think who like don't have like income just to buy like a couple thousand rands worth of books every Mm. month because that's how much it costs yes Um, so for me rereading is really important Mm. Um, I read and I reread and I reread and like I think that produces a lot of meaning and you find meaning Mm. in it absolutely absolutely I think that was a better note. <laughs> That's the note. That's the one. Yes. Okay, cool. Well, on, then, on yeah. that note, I think we're going to just call it there and say thank you so much for thank your you, time Megan. and for this has been such a rich interview. So we really, yeah. really are so appreciative. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you so much. This has like been amazing. I want to do it again. But like, we don't even have to record it. We can just chat. Yeah. So and I'm really, really chuffed to have been invited. So thank cool. you for having me. Thank you so much, Megan. Cool. Hey, I'm Kathleen. And I'm Dee. And you're listening to Mamas with Attitude, otherwise known as MWA. Mama, 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 mama. The same way I immerse myself in my career. Yeah, you've now immersed yourself in motherhood. I've now immersed myself in motherhood. Mommy's a bounce. Mommy's a bounce. Mommy's a bounce. Weird. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, motherhood just comes to take on its different shapes and forms. Mama, mama, mama. (laughs) No, actually, seriously, on a serious note, it's it's been really dope. Thank you. Okay, bye. Mama, 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 mama. 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 Mama.